Welcome to the Performance Observatory podcast, the home of everyday ethnomusicology, where we discuss the music that we make and the music that makes us. I'm your host, Judan Armenti, and today for our fourth episode, we're talking about an ethnography that I did of a singer-songwriter that I've known of and followed since the early 90s. His name is Jeffrey Gaines. I followed him between August of 2019 and the middle of December 2019. Jeffrey Gaines is a well-respected and renowned singer-songwriter, has been since the early 90s. His debut album, his self-titled album, was released in 1992, followed by his second in 94, which was titled Somewhat Slightly Dazed, then waited till 1998 to issue his third release called Galore. 2001, he released the album Always Be. 2002, he came out with Towards the Sun. 2004 was his live album, which is simply titled Jeffrey Gaines Live, which is a recording of a fabulous performance that he did at Philadelphia's Theater of Living Arts on South Street in the city. I was lucky enough to be at that performance, and I can tell you that it was fantastic. He then put out another live album in 2012, and let's see, his latest album is issued in 2018, and it's simply titled All Right. He's got a couple of singles that are also out through iTunes, etc. I highly, highly encourage you to check him out on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you stream your music. He is actually fairly well known for his cover of Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. That might be the song that's gotten the most airplay for him. And he is happy. Jeffrey Gaines is very happy to tell you the story of the one time that he played it for Peter Gabriel. It's actually a fairly hilarious story that I am going to let Jeffrey tell you because it should come directly from him. The motivation behind this ethnography that I did was that I have, as I said, followed and known of Jeffrey since the debut of his first album in um, 92-93. And I have seen him hundreds of times performing in the Philadelphia area. I was blessed that I live in the same city and and general tri-state area as Jeffrey. So there were times when I'd be seeing him once a month, maybe a couple times a month in various venues. I mentioned the Theater of Living Arts, which is about, I don't know, maybe between 500 and 1,000, depending on if it's a seated event or a standing event. And I've seen him at the lovely Tin Angel Acoustic Room, which used to be on 3rd Street, South 3rd Street, um, just south of Market Street for some 20 years before it closed. And, of course, thanks to my life doing ticketing in box offices throughout the Philadelphia area, I've seen him at the amphitheater in 
Camden, which is um, right now titled the BB&T Center. I've seen him play at the Man Music Center. I've seen him play at the Electric Factory Nightclub and the Tower Theater and so many places. Um, even down on our, our uh, riverfront, which was a totally spectacular experience. He also opened for The Roots as part of the, I believe they were on the Welcome America stage a number of years ago. And during the pandemic, Jeffrey was actually part of a music extravaganza for the city of Philadelphia. Um, I'm not certain if it was broadcast just locally or if it was a national broadcast, but it was phenomenal to see them actually film him at the crack of dawn uh, during the pandemic on the steps of our art museum in Philadelphia. They had drone footage of him from aerial views and it was just epic to see him showcase that way for Philadelphia. As I said, I've seen him all over our tri-state many, many times and he is one of the best performers I've ever seen. It was always an event when he played specifically at the Tin Angel. It was, let's see, the Tin Angel held about 115 people and he would usually do two shows a night when he played there and they all sold out. It was really a coming together of people that were what the industry refers to as his core audience. Even though he's just a singer-songwriter, it's just him, his guitar, and a really booming voice, everybody went there to see him. You didn't hear a lot of background noise. You heard everybody singing along. And one of the first times I spoke to Jeffrey, I asked him about how his shows are structured because everybody would just scream out a song that they wanted to hear him do. And voila, he would do it. He didn't set up a set list. He told me, I wake up in the morning, I figure out what I'm going to play first. It's between us. We do it together. And that was how he behaved with his audience. Now, in August of 2019, it had been some time since I had seen Jeffrey. So we're talking a gap of maybe three years since I had seen him perform because, you know, working for a living, taking what they're given, things were, were just a little bit rough for me um, and my family needed my attention. So I wasn't working as much. I wasn't going out as much. And I found that he was performing at a brand new venue, very close to where I was living at the time very close to where he is living at the time. And it was perfect because all these years, I always made a point of taking people with me to his shows that didn't necessarily know him or his music. And it was instant conversion. Everybody then was like, are you going to see Jeffrey? When's Jeffrey playing? What's with Jeffrey? When's he coming out with something? I got Jeffrey's album, blah, blah, blah. The one person I was never able to do that for was my mother. She was not a very social person. Um, she didn't enjoy the nightlife. She was she was a homebody. 
And she did, though, enjoy listening to me prattle on about Jeffrey. She was more than happy to liberate his CDs from my possession and play them for herself. So she did know his music. She did enjoy his music. And this was, you know, my mother was in her 70s at this time. So it was the best situation for me to get her out to finally see him live. This was, like I said, a very new venue. Jeffrey was the first official show for their opening and it was sold out. Now, it was referred to as a listening room, not a club. There was no bar. You could BYOB, but it was a listening room. And it is located in a very well-to-do town outside of Philadelphia. None of this would generally matter, except for when we got there, we had already from the door started talking to other fans. We ran into people that we did not know. And of course, again, this was pre-pandemic. This is probably the last ethnography ever done pre-pandemic. And, you know, just walking in off the sidewalk, we were talking to two people and we ended up sharing a table with them to enjoy the show. And we get to the table and there is a laminated piece of paper telling us what the rules were at that venue as far as reminding us that it is a listening room not a nightclub that we are to be respectful of the artist that applause you know has a particular place after the artist finishes that we are to remain seated and wait until the artist takes a breather after a song or whatever they phrase it as before getting up and moving around and many, many rules. And I'm looking at it like, okay, here I am decades into life seeing a rock and roll show that has instructions and rules. It was very, very odd. And as I watched the people coming in and getting seated, it was kind of obvious that a majority of them knew each other. So I knew that they were pulling in the majority of their audience from the town, from the locality. And that is fine. That's what little venues like this are for. But Jeffrey certainly has a national and international audience due to his many, many years of touring in support of very, very well-known, renowned, and legendary artists. And I did actually recognize a couple of people who came into the audience from days gone by in seeing Jeffrey in the usual habitat that I was accustomed to seeing him in, and that would be the club setting. So he goes through the show and he acknowledges the the rules and kind of scoffs at it, but continues playing on and being the gentleman that he is. Throughout the show, I I just, on instinct, just out of habit, I sing along to every song that I know. And I'm a very enthusiastic audience member. I have no shame in sharing that. I'm very enthusiastic. So with this, I'm noticing that I'm the only one with any real enthusiasm and certainly the only one singing along. 
And I became extremely self-conscious of this, but still (laughs) my subconscious or my muscle memory or whatever you want to attribute it to couldn't help it. My lips started moving, my vocal cords started doing their resonating, and I did everything I could to control my volume and just tried to concentrate on singing to myself just for like a self-soothing kind of thing because Jeffrey makes you want to sing. There's there's a beautiful moment in, in Jeffrey's shows whenever he does something that requires maintenance, which means basically that he's broken a string. And that's when he gets everybody to sing along with um, Daydream Believer by the Monkees. And it's fantastic. Everybody does it and... It's a lot of fun and it usually does mesh the audience together with each other and with Jeffrey and it's a beautiful shared memory that you'll always have and everybody gets to experience their own musicality and have a little moment of them being in the spotlight with Jeffrey. And he did that that night, but it was a lackluster response, which threw me for a loop as as well. But again... It wasn't surprising, given the restrictions that this venue had put on everybody, thanks to their their little laminated instruction. So after the show wrapped up and I was walking my mother out, you know, through the crowd and everything, I think there was maybe like 60, 70 people there. I'm not really sure. I didn't pay enough attention to count at that moment. I found myself vehemently apologizing to my mother and telling her, Mom, I'm I'm so sorry. That was not a Jeffrey show. That that was not a Jeffrey audience. This is this is not what I described to you about the plethora of Jeffrey Gaines shows I have been to before. And, you know, sweet as she was, she's just like, Honey, it was great. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, Oh, you have no idea <laughs> You know. So, you know, I was pretty peeved off and the whole drive home, I'm explaining to her the differences and my frustration. And she's like, honey, it was a great show. And I'm like, you don't understand. (laughs) And my experience in the business was kicking in and my logic from studying ethnomusicology and performance studies and other disciplines, sociology, psychology, all these other things, all came into my mind at one time in this flooding moment. And that's when I decided that maybe it was me. And so I wanted to answer that question for myself. And I went and I checked his tour itinerary and I figured out with my existing schedule for work and whatnot, how many shows that I could go and see and, you know, the distance in which he was playing and just see for myself if it was me, if it was him, if it was the venue, if it was where the venue was located, if it was the type of venue and just get an idea if maybe it also wasn't the idea of the home field advantage. Jeffrey is born and raised in Harrisburg, so he definitely has a home field advantage there, but he's lived in the Philadelphia area since the late 80s, so he's he's definitely somebody that is 
as Philadelphian as he is Harrisburg, and he has a large following here in the Philadelphia area. So maybe I thought, maybe it's just the home field advantage. Maybe I am biased as a Philadelphian, as a Philadelphia fan of Jeffrey Gaines, and being spoiled and seeing him so regularly, so often, in so many contexts. Maybe if I go out and I experience him in other areas, at other venues, I'll actually have a better perspective on, quote-unquote, what a Jeffrey show is like. And one of the things I made sure to do is to only go to events where he was the headliner, not any of the shows where he was he was opening for, for a larger star um, or a more well-renowned musician. So that way, I tried to make it as similar as possible. It took me, as I said, between late August and mid-December to see, I believe it was probably, I think about 10 performances, if I remember offhand. And there was a lot of similarities, and there are a lot of differences. I tried to come up with an idea on how to explain this and how to understand it for myself because I'm still not 100% whether or not I understand it myself, which makes this a whole new journey. (laughs) The next show that he did was on the Jersey Shore up to the north end of the shore. I then went to Syracuse, New York, out to Pittsburgh, over to Youngstown, Ohio, back up to Rochester, New York, and Ithaca, New York, out to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and then wrapped it all up with another local show, which was further out from the city in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. If you don't know Kennett Square, look up the home of the mushroom and you will find that that is Kennett Square. What I found were this. I'm not going to give you any heavy duty statistics or anything like that. This is just kind of an overview of the experience. It was 10 shows that I went to see. Three out of those 10 turned out to be not-so-friendly audiences. And all of those audiences where they were just a little bit more gruff and a little bit more dismissive of Jeff were bars. Typical belly-up-to-the-bar bars. Two venues were non-traditional venues. One was within a church where a local nonprofit rented out the church for the night and set up and had him play there. And another was a very small art gallery. Two venues were brand new. The, the local venue, which I saw him at in August, which was brand new. And then the art gallery, it was also their first time hosting a musical event. As I said, Uh, There were not-for-profits involved. Three of them were not-for-profits. The original show uh, locally here is a not-for-profit. The one held at a church was a not-for-profit. That was also another Jersey location. And another Jersey location, the one on on the shore up in in the north, that was also a not-for-profit. Nine had between 35 to 100 people show up. Out of those nine events... We're talking probably a good average of 55, 60 people showing up on average to see Jeffrey. One show 
there were only a dozen people that showed up, including myself. And that so happened to be the art gallery. So it was a brand new place. Obviously wasn't too up on the promotion of it all. And so they had a very, very small attendance, which made it incredibly awkward for myself. <laughs> I stuck out. It was so obvious that I was there. I was trying to take notes. He had seen me at other venues. I'm sitting there going, oh my God, the restraining order. It's just, it's coming right at me right now. By the time this show is over, there's going to be a restraining order in my hands. He's he's just going to say, I've had enough of saying you. <laughs> so the glaring issue with Jeffrey's shows, and this, this has always been the case. This is not anything new. The audiences were universally similar in that they are predominantly, at this point, middle-aged, and they have always been predominantly white. Caucasian, white, whatever you want to say. Instead of what I was used to in both of our earlier years of our careers, the shouting out of requests only happened a couple of times. And that was a couple of times for the entire time that I went to see him. There was usually one or two requests made per show instead of it being every song over an hour and a half of time. It got to the point where he was soliciting the audience for requests. And I have to say that when that happened, I was crestfallen for him. That's where I was seeing that things were so different for him as an artist. And it, it, it got to me personally. That was a bit heartbreaking. Because as I said, before he never used a set list. And now he's likely still trying to do the same thing and just go off the cuff and go with whatever vibe he's feeling. But when he, he stops and asks people what they want of him, there's no response. It was just a very sad thing knowing exactly what he used to be able to enjoy as a performer. It's very clear to me as somebody who is well experienced in the music business, particularly in the live sector, that over the almost 40 years that Jeffrey has been playing live as a professional musician, he's gone from always selling out, always having people make requests and be very interactive with his shows to selling consistently, but not necessarily having consistent sellouts. There were a number of the shows that were sold out and I was very, very enthusiastic to see those. I believe Syracuse was a sellout. And I think, I know that the Kenneth Square was a sellout. I'm thinking there was another one. I'm just not pulling it off the top of my head at the, at the moment. But it's quite obvious that in 2019, the investment that his audience has in attending his shows has waned. And that's perfectly natural. We've gone from the time when we were in our 20s and had nothing but money to burn and nothing but the desire to go out and enjoy ourselves to having families, having debts, having obligations, and having to save for rainy days, Sundays, and everything in between. 
more of our money has more of a purpose and it's a real luxury for people to go out and just simply enjoy a night listening to live music. But the level of rapport with Jeffrey has so drastically changed. And I don't know that I can really study this because the question begs, is it because everybody was inebriated in one fashion or another in their 20s? And that's not necessarily the case now that we've all, you know, reached middle-aged and generally have gotten past that kind of enjoyment. Or is it that those who remain fans, who are willing to invest their time to go and see Jeffrey, are they less musically inclined? Are they more inhibited than people who used to go see him? It's a quandary (laughs) because I'd really love to know the answer to that, but I don't know that there is a way to obtain that answer in any kind of clarity. The diversity of the venues was also very clear. Here in Philadelphia, there's not a bar, a venue, an arena where he doesn't draw a crowd, where he didn't sell out everything, where people weren't concentrated on him. Whereas now we find that the bars are less welcoming to him and from what I could understand what I was able to observe, particularly bars in college towns are not very welcoming to Jeff. And I, I get that on a certain level. He's a singer songwriter. He's a very, very mellow gentleman. And he's just there with his acoustic guitar and his voice. He's not bringing in drums, guitars, and, and a, plethora of things to just be a driving force that gets everybody riled up and lets them let loose of all their their uh, angst and anxieties and such. He's a thoughtful singer-songwriter who asks you to take a moment and look inside yourself and observe life in a different perspective. With that, I also looked at the general area where the venues were. They were in sleepy towns. They were in affluent towns. They were in areas where it was more industrial. And they were in college towns. The affluent areas are where people bought tickets the most. The less affluent or uh, industrial areas, they did not necessarily sell as well except for Syracuse, New York, where he did sell out the venue. The one thing I really loved was that Jeffrey still loved talking to his audience. He is literally on a mission to share more of himself. And there is one point where he talked about musicians, touring musicians, not being as delicate as the industry would have us think, that they're a very sturdy bunch, and that he particularly wants to quote-unquote humanize all of this, which means that he wants us all to understand what it is to be a professional musician. 
to be a touring musician, somebody who can make a living by creating music without having to be a Springsteen, a Jagger, a Beyonce, or any other countless list of people who are in the spotlight on a regular basis. The one thing that Jeffrey also became very vocal about was the initial show in August that I had seen him perform at. It's funny that he he went out of his way not to specify the location, say the name of the venue or whatnot, or even imply that he remembered exactly when in his career this event happened. But at more than half the shows that I went to after the laminated instructions event, he would bring it up and he would refer always to the laminated instructions. And so with that, he would go out of his way to tell people, make yourselves comfortable. If you need to get up and walk around, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, walk around, go to the restroom, go to the bar, whatever you want to do, make yourselves comfortable. We're all here to have a good time. It, it, it showed me that more than anything else, Jeffrey and I were of like minds with that event that set me on this little path. We had the same perspective on being given instructions on how to interact and manage the relationship between artist and audience. So that's one thing I felt very good about understanding from the, the little ethnography jaunt that I set myself out on. I was able to definitively say it wasn't me. It wasn't Jeff. It had something to do with the venue, but it didn't necessarily eliminate the question as to whether or not it was just the venue. And when I say venue, I mean also the management of the venue, as well as the atmosphere of the venue, etc. And it also means the location of the venue, meaning what is around the venue. Is it in a city? Is it in a suburb? Is it in a college town? Is it in an affluent town? Is it in a seasonal town like the Jersey Shore? And all those things weren't necessarily clear, except for the very hostile environments of bars in college towns for, for Jeffrey. I really don't have a clear-cut conclusion that I've drawn from this. I, I have to ask myself all kinds of questions in regards to what I witnessed for this ethnography, because these questions are, are fairly pertinent, particularly now as, knock on wood, the industry is able to slowly get chugging back to life with live performance. And the pandemic certainly caused many venues to close, which could very well have eliminated a few of the venues that I attended for Jeffrey's shows. But I wonder what it will do for the engagement of the audience, regardless of, of where they are. Is it going to be something where when he's back on the road, 
when anybody is back on the road if there'll be people who still heed laminated instructions and keep their seat till the end of the song before they'll go to the restroom. I wonder if college kids will be as hostile as they can be to an artist that isn't their cup of tea. And I wonder if the location of a venue is really going to continue to impact people going out and enjoying themselves. And of course, the economics of it all. I'm hoping that as we get closer and closer to truly being open and as I stalk poor Jeffrey and his tour calendar on his website, that I can see whether or not I'm able to once again go out and continue the ethnography from the other side of the pandemic and possibly do a little comparison, a little contrast, and just see what happens to show whether or not there are differences that are consistent with what I found in 2019 or if there's really nothing compared to 2019. It's very interesting and I'm looking forward to getting an opportunity to see that for myself. I know that there's really no conclusion that I can come to for this episode. It was just simply sharing of the experience of really doing this ethnography and giving you guys a little bit of insight as to what I found for your typical professional touring musician making a living doing what they love and doing it after decades of continual, constant, viable employment. And I hope that the musicians out there who may be listening have a new perspective on their opportunities to be a touring musician, a professional musician, and that the fans out there have a little bit of perspective of what it is to be a touring musician and and what the experience is like and what it is to play literally outside your comfort zone meaning your hometown advantage. Because from what I saw, Jeffrey Gaines really has one comfort zone, and that is on stage. (laughs) So I'm going to, of course, encourage everyone who listens to find yourself the opportunity to see Jeffrey Gaines perform live. It's very, very possible that you'll find me there as well. I'll be the dork with the notepad. So (laughs) with that, I'm going to thank you very much for coming back and listening to the Performance Observatory podcast. Next time, I'm going to be looking at a couple of books that are coming out relatively soon, if not out already, regarding musicians. One is actually a comic book or slash children's book recounting the influences of legendary artists and the other is a graphic novel on Janis Joplin. That'll be our episode five. Our episode four today has been a little ethnography of the musician Jeffrey Gaines. I highly recommend that you do some streaming of his material 
purchase an album, go out and see a show, and please take care of yourself, follow restrictions that are out there, or just simply follow protocol to protect yourself and everybody else, particularly if you're going to see a show, because we want to keep shows out there on the road, allow everybody to go out and enjoy live music and for us all to come together as safely as possible until such a time as we are liberated from the pandemic. Thanks so much. Looking forward to seeing you back for episode five. Feel free to send us a comment on the website, Performance Observatory Podcast.